Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you all here this morning. My name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here at Brookside. And this morning, I'd like to start off with a question just by asking you right out, right out of the chute. Does character matter? Do, does your character matter? Does who you're becoming on the inside progressively over the course of time, does that matter to you? Now, now of course, we know the answer is, is yes, right? I even heard some of you say yes as I asked the questions. We know the answer is yes. Our character does matter. Character is one of the most important things about us. Talk to anyone who spent time investing in their character, building their character, growing their character, and they'll tell you how glad they are. They've spent that energy to do that. Companies know this, right? When good companies are hiring, Character is over other things like competence and, and capacity when companies are looking for the next hire. So we all know that character matters deeply. Just this last week, I was at some end of the school year stuff for one of my twins, our third graders, and they were presenting some papers they had written over the course of the school year to the group of parents that was gathered there. And so lots of different types of writing were being presented. And so one group of students presented their papers that, where they had interviewed grandparents and then they kind of put it into this presentation form. So lots of good information there about grandparents and kids were amazed like grandparents didn't have color TVs and things like that. But, but at the end of this presentation when kids were sharing about the things they loved most about grandpa and grandma. To, to a kid, the things they shared were character. The things that stood out to them most about their grandparents were, were, were their grandparents' patience and love and perseverance and grace. And so I'm so grateful that we've got lots of positive examples of character that we can look at. But I think it's the negative examples where character is missing or where character is most overlooked, it's those negative examples of character that make us gulp, right? And in the pit of our stomach make us, make us say, yes, when we see the negative examples, those remind us how important building good, strong, godly character is. And unfortunately, we can think of some of those negative examples pretty quickly. I mean, just ask people at Michigan State who, who are reeling from and responding to the Larry Nasser scandal, right? Where, where, where that school is feeling the, the, the sadness and the consequences of what happens when, when someone who is good at what they do, good at their profession, but that person is warped in their character. Or, or there, there are other examples that aren't quite as extreme as that one. Last week, I was out of town at a graduation party for, for a niece, and I was just talking to some people in central Nebraska, and in the course of the conversation, somebody was sharing about a dad they knew that was just creating havoc in his family, and it was all tied back to these deep flaws in the dad's character. He was really good at what he did. He could provide for his family, but he was controlling, he was angry, and he made everyone around him feel about this small, and he knew it. His character flaws were hurting himself, but more than that, they were damaging others. They sent out this shockwave, impacting relationships negatively. So character matters. 
Unfortunately, these, these negative examples, they're not just isolated stories. There's actually research that shows us that there's less and less attention devoted to character across the board in our culture. David Brooks, he's this writer for the New York Times. Listen to what he says. He says, Google engrams measure word usage across media. So this is how Skynet takes over, by the way, right? So there's the 90s movie reference. Google scans the contents of books and, and, and publications, right? And, and going back decades, here we are, you can, you can type in a word and see over the years which words have been used more frequently and which words have been used less frequently. And so, so the words we use show us what's on our minds, don't they? They show us what we value. Over the past few decades, type in some of the words, the, the use of words having to do with economics and business has increased. So we obviously value and think about how to succeed in business and how to make money. While the language of morality and character is in decline. Usage of words like character, conscience, and virtue, these have all declined over the course of the 20th century. Usage of the word bravery has declined 66% over the course of the 20th century. Gratitude is down 49%, humbleness down 52%, and kindness is down 56%. So all of these virtues, all these character-building qualities, we, we can point to at least one body of evidence that says we're thinking about them and talking about them less and less and less. So here's a conclusion that Brooks draws. He says, many of us have instincts about right and wrong, right, right? So, so we've got this vague gut level awareness that right and wrong exists, exist about, about how goodness and character are built, but everything is fuzzy. Many of us have no clear idea how to build character, no rigorous way to think about such things. We are clear about external professional things but we are unclear about internal moral ones. So character is important. And less and less, we know how to build it. It is becoming more and more vague and fuzzy in our minds, according to that quote, which I think is right. And so that's a problem. When something is important on the one hand, but we don't know how to get it on the other, that's a problem that we want to fix, isn't it? How do we close that gap so that way progressively over the course of time, we can grow in one of the most important things about us? So that way progressively over the course of time, you can grow in character, and so here's where the truth in God's word is so valuable because into this gap, this is precisely where Colossians 3 puts itself. Into this gap of, of knowing that character is important and showing us how to build it. This is what the Apostle Paul steps in and tells us about in Colossians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Just one verse from that passage gives us a taste of this. Here's Colossians 3.12, where the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So, so Paul isn't just telling us to do certain things in this passage. You see it? Paul is telling all of us 
to be a certain kind of person. Those things that he commands, they're character qualities. Paul is telling us to build character. And so, so here's a nutshell of everything that Paul is saying in Colossians 3. He says growing in character needs to be a priority. We're going to see that today. Growing in character needs, needs to be a priority, but because of Jesus, it is entirely possible. So the importance of character is there, and the hope of growing in character is there. And then what I love about Colossians 3 is that Paul gets super practical with us, and as we dig in, he shows us how to close that gap, how to grow in character. Here's the framework for what he tells us in Colossians 3. So, so for how to grow in character, first of all, we set our focus on Jesus. So that's foundational. We cannot miss that. Then we starve out the sin in our, in our, our own lives. We seek Christ-like virtues, and then we saturate everything in the gospel. That's the framework for how we'll look ahead today. But, but do you see this? Colossians 3 takes all these fuzzy notions we have about character, and it shows us how to grow in this most important thing. And then along the way, we'll find hope and resolve for growing in character. Because today, we're not going to check off the box of, okay, now I'm done with that. I've grown in character. I can move on to something else. Instead, today, through Colossians 3, I, I just want you to sign up to say, I'm going to keep doing this for the rest of my life. Some of you here are teenagers or you're in college. In your young years, I want you to sign up and say, there's hope that I can grow in character. There's hope that I can make a difference, not just because of what I do, but the greatest difference I make maybe is who I am and the difference that has on others. So, so if you're young, I want you to sign up. Or if you're not so young, right, 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever age you want to put on that, I still want you to say, sign me up for growing in character. It is never too late. You can say, Tim, ah, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. But I want all of us to say there is hope for growing in character. I want you, even, even if you're on one of the final laps of life, I want, to, I want you to say that the difference I can make through investing in character, through letting Jesus change my character, that difference cannot be measured. And it is that big of a deal. And so follow the lead of God's truth in Colossians 3, and you can change. That's the hope that I want to hold out. That's how much I believe in the truth in this book. Follow the lead of this book and you can change. You'll grow in one of the most important areas of your life, in your, in your character. And, and you'll build muscle in things like compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. All right, so, so let, let's, let's get into Colossians 3, right? Let's, let's get where we're going. Let's just walk through it bit by bit and see how Paul tells us that you can grow in character. So Colossians 3, we'll go to verse 5 first. The Apostle Paul says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And, and we'll get to that command to put whatever belongs to your earthly nature. We'll get to that command in a second. 
But before we do that, I want to talk a lot about, or a little, about this word, therefore. Because everything Paul is about to say depends on this word. It shows that everything Paul is about to say depends on everything he has just said. Whenever you see the word therefore, when you're reading through the Bible, that the Bible study tip is just take a second and zoom out a couple notches. See the context leading up to that passage so you can see what the therefore is there for. If you've never heard that cliche, you're welcome, you know? But so, so let's back up a little bit to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, and, and just see what leads up to this command. So Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4, here's what Paul says. Since then you have been raised with Christ, right? So in Christ, you can be a new creation. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Foundational truth about who Christ is. He is seated at the right hand of God. All authority in heaven and on earth is his, and that's a good thing foundational truth about who Christ is, who we are in him. We are new creations and what that means for us. And on this foundation rests everything else we're going to see this morning. So so I'm not going to camp on this. Jeff preached on those verses just a few weeks ago, nailed it. I mean, so go back, listen to that whole sermon if you you weren't here when Jeff preached on it. But just hear me say this again one more time. Everything I'm going to say depends on us setting our focus on Jesus, right? That, that first step that Paul gives us, that foundational step in us growing in character. It doesn't start with us. It starts with him, where we set our focus on him. That's the thread that runs throughout this whole passage. So, so we set our focus on Jesus And then you starve out the sin in your own life. Here's where we pick up Colossians 3, 5 through 11. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he gives us a list, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So do you see how he keeps rooting this and what Jesus has done? We've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And then verse 11 finishes out what we'll look at for right now. Here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. So, so the thing I want to focus our attention on this morning is the beginning of that passage I just read, verses 5 and 6, where, where Paul says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That's strong language. Paul tells us, us, Paul tells us to use about our own sin, right? We don't toy with sin. Paul doesn't say, just give it a little bit of leash, but not too much leash, Paul says, 
put your sin to death. That's how strong of an attitude we need to have toward the sin in our lives. Every year, my wife Carrie plants a big garden in our backyard, and we look forward uh, that whole summer and into the fall uh, of the fruit of this garden that she plants, right? And then, and then she cans a bunch of stuff. So really, we, we benefit from her garden all year round. So, so she has tomatoes and lettuce and peppers, and there's stuff growing in my backyard. I don't even know what it is, but, I, but I'm sure it's good. So she does this big garden every year. But we also know that, that if we're going to eat the fruit of the garden, we need to deal with the weeds in the garden too, right? Because if you don't deal with the weeds in the garden, those weeds will steal the nutrients and the water and the light from the plants you want to grow. Those weeds will crowd out the growth of the things you want. You can't have a flourishing garden and a whole lot of weeds on the same patch of earth. They just can't, they just can't both be there at the same time. And so, so all the time, we tell our boys, one of the chores that they do or that Carrie and I are out there doing is, is okay, guys, time to get out there and do some weeding. It's never good, right? No, nobody likes to do it. It's struggle. It's work. It's a chore. But it's worth it because we want the fruit of the garden. And you have to deal with the weeds if you want the fruit, That's what Paul is telling us to do here in Colossians 3. He's saying, deal with the weeds in your life. Deal with the sin in your life. Because if you want to see the fruit of character, you you have to deal with the weeds. Don't you? And the answer is yes, of course you do. It's a struggle? Yes. Is it a chore? Feels like it. But is it worth it all day long if you want to grow in godly character? And then, and then we all know that as we're dealing with weeds, we don't kind of get out there on the surface of the ground and then take a scissors and chop out, just chop off just what we can see above the surface, right? When you're dealing with weeds, you need to get under the weed to the root of it. Because if you don't deal with the root, that weed is just going to keep coming back up again and again and again. And we do the same with sin. We don't just deal with the surface expression of our sins. I mean, we need, we need to deal with those, but, but the challenge of this passage is that we need to get underneath the surface of our sin and deal with it at its root. That that's the genius of what Paul is saying in Colossians 3, 5, where he says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he, does, and then he, he goes to the, to the physical expression one first, right? Sexual immorality. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just stop with the surface manifestation. Notice how he traces it backwards to its root. Backwards into impurity. And then, and then now we're moving beyond what's on the surface, beyond what you can see, to lust. Evil desires. Greed, right? Greed is wanting even good things too much. Money is important. We need money. But if you want money, a necessary thing too much, you're greedy. So so Paul is tracing sin back to its root. And so Paul is telling us 
Don't just deal with the surface of your sin. Get to the root of it. What are the desires that drive your actions? That's how deeply we need to dig to starve out sin in our lives. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor and theologian from the 18th century, loved so much of what he wrote. And he said this when he was 19 years old, he wrote this. I don't know what I was doing when I was 19, but I wasn't writing stuff like this. He wrote this series of resolutions, right, where, where he just decided to live intentionally every day moving forward from there. When he's 19, he says, resolved. This is resolution number 24. Whenever I do any conspicuously evil action, to trace it back till I come to the original or the root cause, and then both carefully endeavor to do so no more, right? So, so let's stop the action and to fight and pray with all my might against the original, against the root of it. He's doing what we need to do. We get beneath the surface of our sin and deal with it at its root. There's one more thing that, that, that I want to share as, as a pastor, because whenever you talk about sin, whenever you talk about starving sin out, whenever you talk about getting underneath sin to its root, I, I can just picture the conversations I've had with people over the years, people who are so discouraged by their sin, because they've been trying to do this, and they're still working at it. I, I talk with people who feel defeated by their sin. They're like, Tim, I, I've tried that. The thing I want to put in front of us is, is, first of all, that I felt the same way. There are plenty of times when, when sin has won the round in my life, right, where I've given in to temptation. I, I, I lash out at my family with a tone of voice that I would never want to use with anybody else. I, I, I spin a story just a little bit differently where I omit a few facts conveniently in a way to make myself look just a little bit better. So, so I get it. I get it when sin wins around. I, I, I can feel the discouragement that comes from that. The struggle against sin can feel like we take three steps forward, two and a half steps back, uphill all the way. And the thing I want to put in front of us as the glorious reminder is that as followers of Jesus, our hope is not in how clean we make ourselves. As followers of Jesus, our hope is not in what you do. As followers of Jesus, our only hope, only hope, is what Jesus has already done. The Apostle Paul gets this. A few years after he writes the book of Colossians, so a few years after he tells us, put sin to death, a few years after that, he writes this other letter called 1 Timothy. And in, in this letter to, that we know as 1 Timothy, listen to what Paul says about himself. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul's on the final lap of his life right now. This is just, just a short time before his death. And he is so aware of his sinfulness. He's just grown in awareness of how sinful he is. Verse 16, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy 
so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and have eternal life. So at the, at the end of his life, Paul is aware of his sinfulness. But at the end of his life, he is more aware of God's grace. That's what we need to hear to persevere in this struggle against sin. We, we need to be aware of our sin. But we want to be so much more aware of God's grace. So do we fight sin? Yes, we fight sin. All day long we fight sin. But as we fight sin, we do so with, with hope and grit and gratitude for grace. Never, ever, ever forget that. All right, so to grow in character, we set our focus on Jesus. We starve out sin in our lives. And then we seek Christ-like virtue. I love this one because for so many people, when they think of Christianity, the, the sum total of Christianity for them is a list of don'ts, right? Things you have to stop doing or things you can't do any longer. But what I love about this passage in Colossians is that it shows us so clearly that Christianity isn't only or even primarily about what you stop doing. Way more fundamentally, Christianity is about what we're pursuing, right? Christianity is about setting our focus on Jesus and seeking new things, seeking the right things. When we see how good and great Jesus is, which is everything Colossians is about, it reorients our values. So we gladly run after Jesus and we seek to add new things into our lives. And then verses 12 to 14 show us what we should be adding into our lives, the, the virtues we should be cultivating. Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, listen to all these virtues, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So don't just forgive in small ways. Forgive in big ways that blow categories. That's how Jesus forgave us. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. These are the character qualities that matter. I mean, if it's not too morbid, think about your funeral someday. These are the qualities you want people to be talking about you when they remember you at your funeral. They're not going to remember how many hours you logged at work. They're not going to remember what kind of car you drove or the score you got on your ACT. I mean, those things have their place. Kids, the score you, let me reinforce what your parents are saying. The score you get on your ACT has its place. But, but the things that matter most are things like compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. And so let's look at some of these some of these virtues individually. So, so how are you doing with compassion? In what area of your life or in what relationship do you need to show compassion? In what area of your life or in what relationship do you need to practice humility where you need to take back seat or second chair? In what area of your life or in what relationship 
do you need to practice forgiveness? Not, not small, easy forgiveness, but, but costly, big forgiveness. In what area or relation of your life do you need to practice love? Because the, the best way to grow in these virtues is to practice these virtues and to do those things that line up with these qualities, to do the sorts of things a compassionate person does, to do the sorts of things a forgiving person does. And then over the course of time, by God's grace, we grow in virtue. Brookside, let's be this sort of people. We will stand out in a world that needs to see strong character. We will stand out if we do this. And then don't miss that all of these things are rooted in our identity, right? That the command follows another therefore as God's chosen, holy, dearly loved people. Our identity of who we are in Christ absolutely shapes our behavior and our character in light of that. So, so let's become who we are. And then the fourth thing we see about how to, how to, how to grow in character isn't really a separate thing, but instead it, it kind of permeates everything I've been talking about so far. This fourth point is that we saturate ourselves in the gospel. Verses 15 to 17, Paul finishes out the section we're looking at today. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of, a, of, of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And then whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That the gospel the good news of what Jesus has done for us is all over these verses. That the peace of Christ that's supposed to rule in our hearts, that peace is something that Jesus has already accomplished for us. Colossians 1, Paul wrote a little bit earlier in this same letter, Jesus has accomplished peace through his blood shed on the cross for us. So, so that feeling of confidence and assurance, that feeling of peace, it is rooted in fact. It is rooted in the fact that Jesus has died and risen again. Or, or we're supposed to let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. That's just talking about Jesus, certainly in informal ways, in all the informal ways we can in a congregation and a church like this, but also in the, in the formal ways. This is why we teach about Jesus every week. We want, to, we want people to say, yep, they talked about Jesus again on Sunday morning. We want to be known as a church that never gets bored of the gospel. We sing about it. I love the, the, the songs that Rob and his team pick because they take Jesus and his work and they put it in front of us in song. And, and few things stick in our hearts like songs do. I mean, this is why I can still remember the theme song to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air 15 years after I've probably seen the last episode right? Now, this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there and tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. I'll stop there, right? Uh, my mom is shaking her head right now. Yeah, we get, like, uh, that was hours of misspent youth. But it, but it shows us how much, how much songs stick in our hearts. This is why we sing, why we sing psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit in that passage I read. 
We want the gospel to stick. And then whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the picture of character that we're pursuing, where everything we're doing, our words, our deeds, they are shaped by, by our pursuit and our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier today, we saw David Brooks' quote, driving home the, the importance of thinking about character. Let's look at that one more time. He says, many of us have instincts about, about right and wrong, about how goodness and character are built, but everything is fuzzy. Many of us have no clear idea how to build character, no rigorous way to think about such things. We're clear about external professional things, but we are unclear about internal moral ones. Colossians 3 gives us a better way than what we read in that quote. Where, where Colossians 3 takes what is fuzzy and gives us a, a picture, a crystal clear picture of the character we're supposed to be building. Christ-like virtue. That's what we're pursuing. Where we have no clear idea how to build character, the truth from God's word, the Bible, gives us direction for how we can take this lifelong process of growing in character and understand it and actually make progress in building character. So how do we do it? We set our focus on Jesus. We starve out the sin in our own lives. We seek virtue. And then we saturate everything we do in the gospel. So we're just soaked with the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we set our focus in a fresh way on Jesus this morning. We, we want to start there because of how foundational he is. Everything that we do is because of Jesus. So Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for who we are in you. And then Jesus, may this relationship with you, may that be the greatest good in our lives. May you be the greatest good in our lives. And then may, may that lead us very gladly to struggle against sin in our lives. May, may what you've done for us, Jesus, lead us very gladly to seek the virtues you want to develop in us. And then Jesus, by your grace, by your Holy Spirit in our midst and in our lives individually, we pray that we would just be saturated in the gospel, that the good news, Jesus, of what you've done for us and what you offer to us, that would just be something that we are just, that, that just sticks in us, Jesus, we're known for. So Jesus, help us with that. Help us be that sort of person. Help us be known as a people of Christ-like virtue. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.